Hi, this is Ryan Stegman, artist of Superior Spider-Man and the upcoming Amazing Spider-Man Renew Your Vows, and you're listening to Amazing Spider-Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle, all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. I'll be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon. The Amazing Spider-Talk The Amazing Spider-Talk Come swing through the air Sit back and prepare For the Amazing Spider-Talk Hello and Welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Chinacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and an editor at Superior Spider Talk. Mark, congratulations on your book finally, you know, finding its way to everybody's hands in in the world out there. Well, just anyone who's ordered it through Amazon, but you know, yeah. everyone else still has to wait till June first, which is just very strange. Uh, I still haven't gotten mine, so well, I'm, I'm well, anxious. It's coming. It's coming. All right, I can't wait. Well, hey, everybody at home uh, or wherever the heck you are, because it's a podcast. You can. Technology is amazing. You don't have to be home anymore. Uh, thanks for joining us for the 27th episode of our coverage of Volume 4 of Amazing Spider-Man. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yeah, Dan, and whether you're home, in a car, working out at the gym, on the moon, it's whatever. It's blowing my mind. At, at Mar-a-Lago, playing golf. Just know, for this episode, we will be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 4, Number 27, by Dan Slott, Stuart Eminen. And then we'll read your comments and emails, and including a few voicemails. Then we'll give away some prizes, discuss a little bit of spider news. Dan, it's an action-packed episode. Oh, I can't wait to talk about it because I don't want to spoil anything. I think this book was pretty darn special. So let's talk about Amazing Spider-Man number 27. What's new? Just how special was it, Mark? Did you like this book? I, I did like this book quite a bit. I, um, you know, I don't know if special leapt into my mind, but I, I thought it was, a, you know, very, very good. And like, you know, kind of as a, tre- a trend bucker, if you will, I said bucker, B-U-C-K-E-R, you know, for, for Dan Slott these days. I mean, you know, we're three installments in and I feel like each time out the story keeps getting better. Um you know, I have some some theories behind that, but you know, in terms of a big picture look, I mean, what's 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 different about this, Dan? Why 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 are we liking this so much? <laughs> it's really simple. Yeah, I mean, it's got a lot going on. Don't get me wrong. The players in this game are probably amongst the biggest we've seen in a Spider-Man book. I mean, I can't think of a book that has like bigger things going on than like Mech Warriors. <laughs> 
atta- like a whole country's at stake here. I guess you could say like Ends of the Earth and Spider Island had kind of a global implication, but like this thing has got some major, you know, stuff going on. But really, it's just kind of like a a small. I don't know, small is the right word, but it's a very simple story in terms of the players that are going on. There's no big twists happening. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's a it's a Spider-Man story. Yeah, I mean, when I in my review on Superior Spider Talk uh, this past week, Dan, I mean, you know, I made a, a referral to the the Gordian Knot, you know, which is the old kind of ancient tale of alexander the great to, you know approaching the the untie the untieable knot and rather than trying to sit there and you know poke at it and pull at it he just takes his sword out and cuts the knot off and that's how he he unties it essentially and i feel like you know after months if not years of these very complicated mythology steeped stories like spider-verse and dead no more and um goblin nation and you know where we're you know we're just trying to pull all these strings at once and you know there's this dangling participle and this dangling plot thread and you know there's just so much going on like this is just you know i feel like this is dan slot being you know cutting the knot and being like no i'm just gonna tell a straightforward story about spider-man teaming up with Silver Sable and, you know, maybe a few other characters going in there and they're going after Norman Osborn, who, you know, again, whether he's crazy or, or not crazy, he's still a rotten SOB and he's the bad guy and no one makes any mistakes about that. And you don't have to worry about what his feelings are and, you know, why is he acting like this? It's just it's just good versus evil. It's Spider-Man doing heroic stuff and but at the same time acting kind of impulsively and ticking off other corners of the Marvel hero universe this is these are what 50 years plus of Spider-Man stories have generally been and i feel that's probably why we're liking this one here yeah um i i want to go back to what i said about this issue being special and maybe i jumped the gun here i think this is <laughs> great a great issue i think the thing that like if i were to I don't want to get into complaints because I think this book is great. I loved it. Um, Is that like, I think the thing that's keeping it from getting to that like essentials level, that like extra special level that we talk about is that there's not a lot of uh, personal stakes in this book. Like, I mean, there, I mean, there's stakes for everybody, but the, the battle between Norman and Spider-Man, I don't think it has been higher than this before. Because they've had a more personal connection than they do here. Um, and that's the one thing I wish was in this book to take it to that next level. Was that like there was something between Peter Parker and Norman Osborn to kind of like go beyond just being a big rock'em sock'em go get the bad guy story. Which is already great on its own. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I would add to that is, you know, I was kind of complaining over the first two issues of this arc, like kind of along the lines of what you were saying, like, what are the actual stakes here? And and I don't disagree with anything you said, but like, you know, there was a line in this issue that um, kind of opened my eyes to what's actually going on. You know, it's it's not so much about Peter needing a win 
after Dead No More or anything. I mean, it's basically what what boils down to is after years of, you know, anytime he went up against Osborne, he was the underdog. You know, Peter finally has the resources to take the fight directly to him. And, and that's what he's doing. And that's that's actually kind of when you look at it from that, it's, you know, yeah, it's not a, it doesn't have the personal, you know, palatable uh, stakes to it that we get when, you know, like the Gwen story or even something um post with you know post clone saga like um death in the family or something but you know to kind of watch the inverse of you know osborne forever kind of being you know the one the bully always keeping his hand out and keeping peter at an arm's length uh peter finally between his parker industries money and his and his you know other technological enhancements can just be like you know what screw it i'm just gonna go right at him you know so that's pretty cool yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, I think the other thing, I've always been a sucker for art, you know, like I think even before enjoying who Peter Parker was as a character, my first issue, 375, that's like an art showcase for Bagley. And I think that was my thing. Like I could imagine a like five-year-old Dan Gavazdan picking up the, these issues. And I mean, th- has the book ever looked this good uh, under the pencils from like someone like Stuart Eminem, like I, I I can't think of a more attractive looking issue than what we get here. Uh, it's just incredible how he's able to balance this. And I think we talked about uh, his artwork. One last note: we talked about his artwork, kind of like elevating this book and kind of maybe making Dan Slot, you know, step up a little bit. But I almost think that like he's just able to sell stuff better that other artists wouldn't be able to. There's like a line in this book where like Spider-Man asserts that he's the funny one and don't anybody else step on that territory. And I think in any other book I would have rolled my eyes, but Stuart Eminem poses him just right that he's kind of like half joking and half serious. And I bought that line, but I could easily see myself like being like, Oh, what garbage under a different artist. Right. Right. No, it's a great point. And, and, you know, like, yeah, he takes these, these other ordinary moments and I think kind of elevates them to extraordinary. But then, you know, then you have these other moments in the book, which are just completely extraordinary to begin with. And he just knocks him into the stratosphere. I mean, like, you know, the opener, the opening of this book is stunning. I mean, like, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. I mean, for a second, I thought, you know, I, I don't know if if this is a compliment or not, but like I forgot I was reading a Spider-Man book initially. It felt felt like a Batman book yeah. uh, with with Osborne's transformation and taking the bandages off and being this grotesquest figure thing and like with the gothic castle ambiance and everything. And um, is it is it Simcaria? Is that yeah, where we're yeah. at? It's very Batman hush. Kind of yeah, stuff, yeah. You know? It's just like you know, I'm, I'm waiting for like Raja Ghoul to come out or something with with Talia or something. I mean, it's just it's just an aesthetic and a, and a sensibility that we don't get a lot. But and now Slot has you know he wrote years before he jumped over back to Marvel. He he wrote some Batman books. So like again, like I feel like writer and artists are really kind of working some, you know, in, in 
you know, synchronized or they're, they're, you know, synergized here. And, and it's just elevating every little thing. I mean, you know, with a lesser artist, I think, you know, going for this kind of weird, atypical Spider-Man aesthetic, you're kind of like, what are they doing? What are they going for? I'm reading this for, you know, I'm well, you know, like we were joking about Dead No More when it was like, you know, I don't want to read Walking Dead meets Spider-Man. I want to read Spider-Man, you know, like, whereas with this, I'm like, no, this is cool. This is weird and edgy and kind of creepy, but like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm digging this, 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 this aesthetic and this like gothic vibe to it. Yeah, I think that's the benefit of this volume four, this new status quo. And and I think we've said it on the issues from like, because we've been warmer on volume four than we have been, you know, well, at least compared to volume three. I think, yeah. I think when, when it embraces things like this and you get a great pairing between the writer and the artist, and I think it's been, it's kind of mixed throughout. We've gone from like things that we think are heart, hot garbage to stuff we're like, okay, this is all right, to stuff we really liked. And I think, to me, this is like the crest of that hill. You know, like, this is the best thing that's come out of this so far. I'm hoping he can l- stick the landing. And I think, you know, if anything, any of all three of these chapters are saying, like, I think that's entirely possible here. Um, and, yeah, it's just a great combo between these two creators, or even just four creators. You know, I want to... Shout out some of the other people on the art team. I, I think Wade Von Grawbadger, whose name is just fun to say. Uh, <laughs> he, I like it's. He's doing looser inks on Eminem's work than I've ever seen, than maybe since when Eminem first started on the scene. You know, with like uh, like Next Wave um, and things like that. Um, but uh, I don't know. It just it's kind of you might lose some of the detail, but it's so expressive and fun to read it takes me back to kind of like the jrjr days during you know uh straczynski where it's a, like the details aren't so specific but uh it's so readable and fun and mm. um the colors here um i'm actually taking a coloring class on comics myself to kind of learn how to be a colorist and a letterer and stuff and you learn all these lessons about like you know uh like contrasting colors and I'm just happy to see a comic that embraces the full range of the color spectrum because this book is just, it's like big and bold and splashy and colorful and, and dire when it needs to be. And so, uh, Marty Gracia, uh, hats off to you. This is a beautifully colored book. Um, I, I just think about that Norman Osborn reveal image. I mean, how grotesque. Yeah. Can we talk about Norman Osborn in this book? Well, you know, I think we should, yeah. you know, it, 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 you know, we do talk about the comics on this, on this podcast. So we might as well talk about Norman Osborn in the comics. Yeah. So Mark, let me ask you this. Like I have been struggling a little bit with this new version of Norman Osborn. Like he's evil, but he's not crazy. Where do you draw that distinction? Because there's some parts of this particular chapter where I thought, he seems like a crazy person, and then other parts later where I'm like, okay, that's not how he would normally react. Where do you draw that line? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm struggling with that myself, and and even to be like, is that you know, I don't know if I've even seen something where I've been like, oh, that's not how he would normally react. I haven't seen anything that were to me, it's patently obvious that there's been a discernible shift in this character. I mean, you know, if anything, I kind of feel that. 
this arc is and if this is not what um the creative team is going for then you know shame on me i guess but you know i i i feel like this arc is kind of demonstrating how that line between norman's malevolence and norman's insanity there you know it's the same line essentially they you know, like like they they're, it's interchangeable i don't i don't know if they're you know like you could strip away the insanity from him and he's still a malevolent awful person who's yeah. going to manipulate and 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 you know try and grab as much power and control as he can so and that's changed over the years right like when the character was first introduced way back in the sixties, you know, he had this, he was kind of like a dual personality thing. Like he would be kind of like a normal business man by day. And then when he would go, go insane as the goblin, that's when he would kind of become this evil person. You know, when he had amnesia, he was a pretty normal father figure, maybe a distant one. Um, I think it's only through the years that like people have like done flashbacks and, kind of try to seed in this idea that Norman is crazy, was crazy before or evil before the goblin serum. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I would say that that's something that we saw in terms of 616. We saw that more post clone saga return and then kind of ultimate and Bendis really put it over the top. And then when Bendis started writing him in Avengers and Thunderbolts and stuff like that, then that like ratcheted up even more. And, and that's where like this, like, you know, kind of psychotic master of the universe persona came from. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I just think about all those, uh, there was that one flashback epi- issue where like, um, maybe it was in, uh, 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 tangled web or something where like Harry Osborne, like bike gets broken or something. And Norman takes it out on him. As a kid, do you know what the story I'm talking about? No, I don't. I don't know this one. Yeah, I can't remember exactly where it is. Someone, if you're listening and you know what that is, I don't know. Write in, let me know about it. Uh, maybe I read it. Maybe it's web spinners or something. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's the one. That's one of those B books I I that I completely missed in my heyday. I just remember reading this thing, and it's just there somewhere, but it, it's not an instant recall. Um, I mean, for me, the big standouts in this, you know issue is that in the beginning he like pumpkin bombs or goblin serum bombs his doctor all while right. stating that he's as sane as could be right <laughs> uh, it's like i don't know you just kind of murdered that guy you know and we find out that he didn't actually murder him later on and then right, right. so to me that looks still kind of crazy i don't know i don't know what you consider crazy but <laughs> me and he had the he had the best chocolate cake when he did it. Dude. Yeah, right. Okay. And then later <laughs> on in the issue, you know, and and he and he's changing his face to be grotesque, even though the doctor is warning him not to, all because Spider-Man is egging him on. Like to me, that seems like old Norman. But then later on in the issue, Spider-Man like you know calls him out and tries to egg him on, and he's like, "No, I won't let you affect me. Like I'm gonna stay here in my castle and." send the tanks and stuff after you. And I was like, okay, well, that seems like a non-crazy Norman Osborn. But, like, at the same time, he's still a guy whose face is distorted because he <laughs> couldn't wait to change his face. Right, right. Uh, so I don't know. It seems to be, like, 
I don't know if it's weird characterization, but it's riding both sides of the line. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, I think we gotta wait and see um, to what the you know what the ultimate payoff is for the narrative about Osborne's insanity or lack thereof, and what it actually means. I mean, right now, I think it's just kind of noise. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see in a few issues where it goes. Um, right, he can so he got, can assert as much as he wants that he's sane. It doesn't mean he's sane. Yeah, exactly. Um, just in terms of, you know, moving from Norman for a bit to talk about some of Spidey's team up pals here. So, you know, after a couple of issues of, of putting it off, we got the Sable explanation of her disappearance, which was basically, you know, she went like during her struggle with Rhino when she was getting drowned, she went stealth and disappeared and then kind of stayed hidden, uh, even though everyone thought she was dead it wasn't like the greatest explanation, but by comic book standards, I wasn't offended by it. What, what about you, Dan? I wasn't offended by it, but I, I don't know. I'd have to reread End of the Earth, which I'm not keen on doing. Oh, come uh, on. <laughs> but like, it'd be great if she used stealth in that book and it was like, oh, it was seeded in. But right. I don't remember anything like that. So it feels kind of like a cheat, but it's comics. My bigger question is... Did she stab Rhino in the face? What what is this image? <laughs> I, I I I don't I don't have another read of it. <laughs> I don't, like Rhino didn't have a giant scar on his face last time we saw him. What? No. And we don't know how he survived. So like, what happened yeah, there? Because that was the thing. We they my impression of that story had always been they were both left for dead. Yeah. Um. I mean. And like I was, you know, my where, where my like m- no prize brain went when I was seeing Sable's story. I was like, well, just because she went stealth doesn't mean like if he's got like a vice grip on her and, and and is drowning her, it's not like if she disappears that she would slip out of his hands. Like she's still she's still uh, what do you call it? Um, tangible, physically yeah. tangible. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, my, um, I mean, my my thought was always that like the two of them realize that they're doomed, and like the rhino that is still somewhat sane was like we like I gotta get out of here and I gotta save myself and you know and let her go, but um, I guess that's not what happened. So yeah, well, I just want to know how he survived a knife to the face. Right. Well, hey, that's 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 not. So improbable. Um, I just and, don't and, think and, it was necessary. Like and we don't, <laughs> we don't, we don't see a scar on his face in any of the preceding comics. So no, no. I don't know. Um, but to to its credit, like I actually, you know, maybe I'm just like going out of my way to commend something that you know we should just be getting right in the first place. But like I, I enjoyed that the the backstory was very quick it 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 you know these little logic gaps aside it kind of just gets in and gets out and then keeps the story moving it doesn't grind the story to a halt it's yeah. not like a eight page sidebar or something um which is kind of like what dead no more was ad nauseum where these like very long sidebars of things that could have been done in much shorter snippets 
Um, yeah, we, this wasn't a backup story or a standalone issue, thankfully. No, no. I mean, it, 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 this is, again, this is all lending to the effectiveness of this larger story right now, which is just, you know, yeah, I mean, like, in terms of, like, actual plot progression, I don't know if we're that much further along than we were a couple of weeks ago after ASM 26, but I f- still feel like, Every time out, we're moving forward. We're moving forward, and 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 things are things are progressing. We're learning new things. We're getting new information. There are new. There's new drama. There's new twists and turns. But we're not like, and we're not getting weighed down with what happened two issues ago, six issues ago, twenty issues ago, fifty issues ago. You know, like I, yeah. it, it's refreshing to just be looking forward for a change. Right. We're not getting weighed down in exposition in these books. And, no. Uh, which is, yeah. I, I mean, if there was one lesson to take away from Dead No More immediately, it's that lesson. Yeah. I mean, it's it's reminiscent of Superior in the in you know through the first you know bulk of it. Um, just like you know, every month we were moving forward in that story. You know, like we very rarely looked back. It wasn't until we started looking back where the story started to kind of grind down a bit. Um, you know, so again, it's like. You know, I'm not trying to be um, glib about this, but I mean, Dan Slott has proven the ability to tell stories in this fashion, and and he got away from it for one reason or another, whether by choice or not by choice. Um, so to see him kind of going back to that, where you know, to a point where we were really big fans, you know, it's kind of reminding me, oh yeah, when this guy's clicking, I really like his stuff. I mean, he's a good comic book writer when this when when he's writing in this vein. Uh, like you said, there's not. I don't feel a lot moving forward in this. In you know, in terms of like the plot hasn't taken a huge step forward, but all the things that we are moving forward are character oriented. You know, you've got yeah. Mockingbird's turn. You know, right. you've got uh, the reveal of like. Uh, like uh, the new go- goblin plan with all the seeding of the goblins. You've got Silver Sable re- revealing herself and stepping up to the plate. And uh, and all that stuff is fun. Um, I was going to say, can we talk about that Mockingbird turn for a second? Yeah, or? sure, yeah. I mean, it's it's not a dramatic thing. And, and, like, again, it's like I'm not sure if I'm 100% on board with, like, the Peter-Bobby pairing that they seem to be trying to drive home here. But... At the, but the thing that made it work for me, you know, her basically kind of resigning from S.H.I.E.L.D. and telling Fury to stuff it is just basically her being like, you know, I know you're a good person and you're doing things for the right reasons, even if they look bad at the time. So I'm just going to trust that. And, you know, like, I feel like in a lot of ways, that's the kindest this and most, in, you know, in, incisive this book has been about its main character in a while. I mean, it's like, you know, we always have to kind of feel that, you know, Peter, not that he's a villain in his own book, but like there's something wrong with him. <laughs> and yeah. this is like, you know, it's just refreshing to be like, no, I mean, we, we all know that he's not perfect, that he makes mistakes. But but this this character acknowledging like it doesn't look good on paper, but. I acknowledge that at your core, you do things for the what you perceive to be the right reasons, and that's good enough for me. It's like, yeah, I mean, that's why we like Peter. <laughs> it's like he does what he perceives to be the responsible thing. He does he doesn't stray from that. 
Yeah, that's a really great point. Um, I I'm like you. I'm not like shipping this couple, but right. uh, like right after that moment you described, they like there's this kind of flirty moment where Peter tries to kind of like, you know, take that uh, compliment, you know, and and she's like immediately cuts him down, like, oh, you just made this weird. Yeah, you know? and I, I I like that because I like that kind of flirting because it just makes Peter look really awkward. So like even when he's on this kind of grand scale, he's still just like this dork who can't really handle women. Um, I like that, and I also was all about that uh, that pim particles joke from yes. uh, Nick Fury. I don't know, it made me laugh, and uh, um, when you you can make me laugh from a comic then you're doing something right right um, and we had some funny funny exchanges between nick and aunt may in this book and uh, <laughs> well there's an exchange you never thought would happen right right yeah i mean but again i mean like taking the status quo and 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 kind of turning it on its ear and playing around with it i mean this is this is what i would say i mean Speaking personally, I'm, I don't know if you share this, Dan, but these are the kinds of things I wanted to see out of the status quo. If we were to go to this place, I wanted to see like Aunt May going mano a mano with Nick Fury or Tony Stark or something, because that's like that's what you could logically get out of this status quo. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you get out of this status quo where Aunt May is now this global investor figure. Like right. she'll never go back to being I made you wheat cakes. Aunt May. Like, <laughs> uh, the disparity between that is hard to kind of like fathom, but uh, yeah, I'm totally on board. Um, although I will admit, I feel like Harry Lyman has kind of been circling the same plot beat for a long yeah. time now, just reasserting that he's not an Osborne. And like I said earlier in the show, if there was an angle to make this issue more personal, I feel like Harry would be the place to do it. And I just wonder if he's going anywhere because right now it feels very stagnant and I'm very excited to see what Harry is either up to or who he is demonstrated, you know, um, and that Dan Slott keeps hitting this same beat over and over again. Like I'm ready to see it evolve and I'm hoping that it goes somewhere. Yeah. It makes you wonder, is it a quite a case of, you know, the lady doth protest too much, or is it a case of, oh, we don't have anything better for him right now, <laughs> so we're just gonna, we're just gonna keep him running on the on the hamster treadmill, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, I hope it's the former rather than the latter. I mean, I don't want to see like bad things coming to Harry, you know. Like, I like right. the guy, you know, uh, but at the same time, if it was bad things were to suddenly crop up with Harry, I'd be like, all right, I'm excited to see where this where this is going, and. uh yeah, I think we're at that point now. He's got to or get off the pot, so to speak. I just wanted to say uh, about this, as a general note about this issue, is that like I think this the cover to this book is pretty weak, um, and I don't know how you feel about all the Alex Ross covers. Um, I think they're kind of a mixed bag. Like I feel like the- they've got I feel like they got played out a while ago. If I if I may be totally honest, and I love Alex Ross, but. I don't think it's adding anything. <laughs> yeah, I think issue 28's cover looks fabulous. So right. I'm not going to argue with that. But um, but beyond the cover, I think um, I'm whether this, this story marks anything, I know last issue we talked about 
you know, misspellings in the recap page and stuff. But like I, this book, I thought the production quality was like a step up. Um, we got this two pages of a letters page. We got a title page that actually was well put together. Like if Marvel wants to go back to the legacy stuff, as they're saying, like to me, this book is how you do it. You tell a classic story, you include letters pages, which kind of help build that community and you actually like go through it and make sure your book is put together well rather than seeming like it was like a half second thought on a production line. Um, like this to me, this book says, this is quality, put your money in this. Uh, and that's how you get the readers back. Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll see, we'll see what happens, I guess, uh, with a sales chart next week uh, or in a couple of weeks. But... Or if people even care about that stuff. Maybe it's yeah. just me. But, uh, no, no, but I agree. I agree. It's good to see like effort being put into the whole package. Um, I mean, I, I, I know people have been reaching out to me about like our reviews for these books being so positive, saying that they're going to try Spider-Man out again. You know, right. And I think, yeah, if you write good stories, hopefully people will go out and pick them up. Yeah. Well, you know, well, Hopefully people are still listening to us talk, to talking about it. Right, right. <laughs> What's your grade on this, Dan? I'm giving this one an A minus. Oh, good for you. You're breaking the A barrier, Dan. I know. We haven't done it in a while, but yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm not quite into the A barrier yet. I'm at a B plus. I'm almost there. So, but I mean, I think again, my grade, my grade has gotten incrementally higher each each time out. Um, and same in terms of my numeric grade on the website, Dan. So I'm I'm grooving on this story. I'm just waiting, like you said. I'm waiting for one more, one more gear to hit. But I think we're we're close. I can't wait to read the next one. And if I can't wait to read the next one, to me, that's like about as high of praise you can give sequential storytelling. You know, we we haven't been there for this book since Superior, Dan. I think that's a fair statement, right? I yeah. mean, even even when things were going mo- moderately well in ASM, like yeah, that feeling of oh man, I, like I gotta wait two weeks. <laughs> Can you remember? I mean, like that feeling, like like ah, <laughs> we're so close. <laughs> I honestly can't, Mark. Like I like I think back to the time and I'm like, man, I used to rush to the comic books. I used to wake up super early and get there before work. Now it's like, eh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, yeah. Even these, I'm reading a day or two late, you know. Um, but like, if it keeps up at this pace, you know. And that's more because I can't actually physically make it to the store. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm excited about this book again, and that that is high praise. Definitely. All right. Well, why don't we? Uh, speaking of excited people, why don't we talk about our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club? Yeah, Mark, it's our favorite part of the show. Uh, well, maybe not our favorite, but we we do like doing this. Uh, just, it's among our favorites. It's among, yeah, amongst the top five, let's say. There you uh, go. Yes, it's the Friendly Neighborhood Spider Doc Members Club. It's our club that helps support the show, where you can get all kinds of goodies in the mail every month. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's our Patreon page, and you can go there by going to our site and clicking on the banner that reads. The Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. I'm just saying this a lot. 
Uh, and yeah, so we like to we like to give out a bunch of things to our members, and uh, and so we do these raffles every couple weeks. We don't have any new members this time, but we last time we said we were going to do a raffle on Spider Woman, uh, Volume One. That's the one where she's pregnant. Uh, yes, a favorite of ours, Mark. So, Mark, yes. I'm going to give you the countdown in in three, two, one. Who won this book? Uh, it is someone by the name of Thomas Smith. I had a neighbor once named Thomas Smith, but I don't think it's the same person because I don't think that neighbor liked comic books. I can tell you specifically that it's not because this Thomas Smith lives in Wyoming. Okay, definitely not. Unless um, you suddenly plus, moved. You plus, know. you know, Smith is such a such an odd last name. You never you don't see a lot of Smiths out it, there. It's not like our common last names, Mark. No, exactly. But Thomas, thank you so much for your support and enjoy Spider Woman Volume One. Yeah, that book should be in your mailbox in a day or two. I sent it off you'll yesterday. Probably, you'll, you'll probably get it before Dan gets his copy of One Hundred Things Spider Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They it's Die. It's entirely possible. <laughs> All right. Well, Mark, uh, thanks everybody who's a member of our show. And uh, if you want to join up and get all kinds of awesome goodies in the mail, you can head on over to our websites and click on the button that reads, Mark. Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. Why did we name it that? <laughs> all right. Let's get to your comments and emails now. Spider. All right, Dan, now it's the part of the show where I riff and and mumble to myself for a few minutes, kind of like what you just did on Friendly Neighborhood. I know. Uh, it's really bad. No, oh, it's great. Improv. Improv. It's kind of like an Uncle Ben story every time out. No. Comments and emails. We love to hear from you. Go to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube. Leave a rating. Leave a review. It grows our community. We'll read them on the air when you do. Or you can email us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com. You can tweet at us and hashtag it, okay to print. Or, and we got a couple of these that we're about to get to right now, you can call 9RedGoblin and leave a voicemail. And, you know, that voicemail can be anything you want. And we'll usually play it unless it's really bad. So don't be really bad. But <laughs> but these two voicemails are pretty good. So we got one here. Uh, we're going to hear just kind of a... a uh, a long-time listener, first-time caller, I guess you'd call. <laughs> hey, Mark and Dan. Um, I just wanted to call because I've been listening to the podcast for about two years now. And um, like y'all, I've been a, a lifelong Spider fan. But um, I've been a bit disenchanted in the past few years. So it's really good to hear, you know, hear y'all's critiques and, uh, you know, insight throughout this whole, you know, thing we're going through anyways i just want to say thanks guys and uh i appreciate the podcast and if you guys are ever in denver please come and visit us thanks man oh yeah this is dominic in denver well awesome thank you for calling in uh nice to hear uh people who love listening to the show uh mark we got yeah, i'll definitely visit and call I, I love colorado so you know i'll come on out you know yeah i have tried to do a couple of like meetup groups and stuff uh you know for people that listen to the show it's just i don't think our numbers are big enough yet to have it actually be a thing you know like i i tried doing san diego comic-con and nobody showed up and i figured that was the like 
prime spot to find a large number of our listeners. So uh, I don't know. Are there, if there are a lot of people in Denver, maybe we'll show up there. Absolutely. There's good beer in Denver. and then, But, you know, then there's – well, I'm not going to get to it. Never mind. <laughs> All right, I was, Mark. I just have to talk about regional col- uh, culinary things, and I know that that gets me into trouble. So, <laughs> All right. Let's listen to our next voicemail. Hey, Mark and Dan. This is Mike Pache. Just had a little something that's been bugging me about this new Venom. I thought maybe you guys could clear it up. I don't remember the plan of the, of the symbiote uh, storyline, so I'm not even going to touch that. But I know in the four, early 400s of Amazing, there was a, an issue where Carnage was pissed off because he, because, he, because, he, because he had led Galactus to destroy their planet because they were evil. And then years later in the Guardians of the Galaxy, they go back to the planet of the symbiotes. I don't know how, but if I remember that story right, they weren't, they were evil as well. They were not good aliens. But then in issue, I believe it is three of the new Venom series, the symbiote claims that they're not evil, that he only was bad because of bad hosts. What's your take on this? Um, is my memory not serving me correctly? Um, just what do you guys think about this issue? Thanks, guys. So, Dan, you might be shocked to hear this, but Venom has really never been written consistently. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know what to say. There's, I mean, you can think about this stuff all day long, but Venom, I mean, from day one, was supposed to be a woman, turned out to be a man. I mean, this guy has been through... You know, whether he feeds on your adrenaline or gives you cancer, there's no real rhyme or reason for how the symbiotes work. Right. And I'm also the Space Knight series was kind of garbage. Yeah, I, I, I was not a huge fan. Uh, I will say that um, I was very happy when I found my copy of the, the Silver Surfer Carnage story that he talked about. For whatever reason, I don't know if this like was part of the, the run of books that Marvel was shorted itself on uh, in terms of uh, distribution. When I was trying to fill in gaps in my collection, I would like look on online or on eBay and like people were trying to get like 30 bucks for those books. And I, I, I went to some like random show in Jersey somewhere and like was digging through a dollar bin and found both of those books there. Nice. And I was like, and I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> what do you think about that? eBay? <laughs> I definitely spent top dollar on those books. Because, uh, yeah, it was during the, sh- the, pr- the short print run. And, like, those books are not good books. But no. that whole run sells for crazy numbers because of how few copies there are. Yeah. Well, dollar bin, baby. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's we the got way some, to do it. We got some standard email questions here. This one's from uh, Mario uh, asking about um, – talking about Clone Saga stuff. Uh, he's a fan of the Scarlet Spider character, but uh, doesn't quite understand why uh, Marvel keeps bringing back the Clone Saga. It's not very good. It wasn't good the second time around. Uh, and, you know, depending on what you think about Dead No More, was may not have been the greatest thing the third time around. Um, Dan, what, what do you think? Why, why, why do you think Clone Saga lives on? One word. Nostalgia. Yeah. And, you know, to kind of you know, thanks for writing in, Mario. And I, um, you say you say in your note here that you just started listening to the podcast. I would say go back and listen to the um, Terry Kavanaugh 
Howard Mackey interview we did about the Clone Saga a few months back. Um, because Terry said something that I thought was kind of spot on, too. I mean, you know, when they wrote the Clone Saga in the 90s, you know, unpopular or not, you know, the fact of the matter is a lot of the, you know, Dan, we were teenagers when that book came out, or at least I was. You were almost a teenager. <laughs> um, <laughs> practically a teenager. Um, but you got to figure the people working on the books now i mean they were probably our age when when that comic was coming out i mean it's it's not even just nostalgia but like you know think about your reverence for bagley venom you know or for me for mcfarland venom you know like that's that's what you hold dear and you know i go back and i read some of those michelini mcfarland books that i grew up on and i kind of realize eh, these aren't the greatest stories they're okay um, they're not like the best comics ever. I mean, certainly like Stern and Romita and DeFalco and friends and them are, are, I feel like a notch above that, but I have nostalgia for them because those were my comics. Those were my first comics. And, you know, for a lot of these people now, the, the clone saga was their first comic. So we're just going to, you know, at some point, <laughs> at some point, 20 years from now, we're going to have people like constantly referencing superior, probably, you know, like it's just whatever your first comics are, you're going to hold near and dear to you, I think. Yeah, that's a really great point. So, OK, we got the last email here. It's from Nathaniel and Nathaniel writes, I'm wondering for both of you what your biggest miss opportunity was. I know you saw that would be he's referring to me. Uh, a 6.0 Amazing Fantasy 15 for $5,000. Any other big moments where you didn't pull the trigger and wish you had? I'm going back and forth on this because uh, I bought a bunch of books that are really waterlogged, but checking off the boxes from the spiderfan.org checklist feels so good. Mark, have you uh, passed on an opportunity? Um, You know, actually... (laughs) I have something pretty recent that probably did not show up in the pages of Chasing Amazing. I mean, Chasing Amazing, I get into a lot of this stuff in terms of regrets or not regrets or whatever with with comics. Uh, But Dan, you'll be interested to hear. um, I was in a store in Midtown Manhattan a few months ago, and I saw a decent looking copy of Annual One. With the Sinister Six, which I don't own, which is one of the few annuals I do think counts. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, they wanted like... Hold on. Like, I want to revel in that statement. Okay, okay. <laughs> Let me just soak that in for a little bit. Ah, the, the great cleansing rays of annual admittance. There you go. They wanted like 150 for it, which I think was like totally reasonable. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was probably like a very good, you okay. know, like, you know. So, and I didn't get it because I was kind of like, ah. It was like, I, it was, especially now since I, you know, have all the other issues. <laughs> it was kind of like, I really wasn't looking to spend $150 on a comic today, you know, like, like, but. It is something I want to get at some point and in kind of looking at some of the usual places I look to buy comics like websites and and auctions and stuff like that. I haven't found it as cheap as that in that condition. So I'm kind of like that that might have been my moment and I just let it go. So I don't know. Was it gone the next week? (laughs) 
I haven't gone back because it's not a store. It's I, I don't work in Midtown. I just happen to be in there and I kind of avoid Midtown because <laughs> of the crowds. Uh, it probably is gone. Or now that I've advertised it, people are like, I got to look at every single con. It wasn't Midtown Comics, people, but it was a comic store in Midtown Manhattan. Um, <laughs> but Everybody either- is now like yeah. checking off. Was it ha- uh, Tim Hanley's Comic Universe? Yeah, it's Jim. Jim Hanley. Jim yeah. Hanley, sorry. <laughs> yeah, um, which is weirdly enough where I first met Dan Slott years earlier at a signing. I didn't just like see him there and be like, hey, you. No. Um, so it's I'm sure it's gone. I didn't go back. I mean, like, because, again, even if I went back two days later, I still wasn't like, I'm going to spend 150 bucks on a comic today. Like, I've kind of like gotten out of that mindset over the last few months <laughs> or last few months, last few years. Yeah. Cause so I don't know, but if I, if I happen to go in there and I saw it, I, I will buy it. And if not, then let that be my regret. How about you, Dan? Anything I, else? I mean, I, I tend to regret the stuff I bought that I shouldn't have bought. Y- yeah. You know, uh, I, I have a lot of those. Yeah. Uh, I guess in terms of like things that I didn't buy, I'm never going to top seeing that amazing fantasy 15 for $5,000. Um, I know I have like, it just burned into my brain that moment in my life. Like just, I mean, I couldn't afford it at the time, Yeah, I, you know, uh, but there was a point in time where I definitely could have. And, uh, even if I couldn't afford it, I should have done it, taken a credit card. And then I could have easily sold that thing for four times as much. You know, I, online. Oh I, God, I know. couldn't even even with that mindset, I could never do that. Like, if I had Amazing Fantasy, I know, in my possession, I'd just be like, "Well, I got it." <laughs> I mean, my thinking would be like, I could resell this and then probably buy an Amazing Fantasy fifteen buy with like the a difference. Good copy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the difference in the money I'd make. Um, yeah, I hear uh, you. I don't know. I'll never see that again. I don't think. I don't know. No, who Definitely the insane not. person? And they had two of them, you know, yeah. like, and it was like, I don't, like, even, see, I don't even see goods for 5,000 anymore. For yeah. That book. There was a like 6.5 or something right next to it. That was like 15,000 or something. And this mm-hmm. was like a 5.0 for 5,000. And I was like, there's gotta be something wrong here. I asked the guy, he let me hold it. You know, he's, I was, he's like, it hasn't been retouched. Blah, blah, blah. And I didn't ask him, like, what are you, insane? You know, like, because I was, like, really considering it. I didn't want to tip my hat. But, like, yeah, I, didn't, I don't know who that guy was or what the condition was. But I'll, I'll never see something like that ever again. No. Was Amy there with you when you were, like, examining it? No. This is, like, probably in 2009 or, or 2010. Uh, okay. So it was okay. a long time ago. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'd just be curious if she would have been like, do it, or are you crazy? <laughs> she probably would have pushed me to do it. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think I would have bought my number one if she wasn't there to push me to do it. So yeah. Uh, yeah. We all know that mine basically negotiated my number one for me. So. Yeah, right, 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 right. We are both uh, – we both- don't have the fun- the footage, the footage is in the vault somewhere in in Venice View Askew Productions or whoever does Comic Book Men, but it's there somewhere. <laughs> you want to write to them to see if you can get access to that footage. I, I yeah. Well, the thing is, the production companies change hands. Like when I was even just trying to get a sense of is it airing this season, I could never get a straight answer. So 
which kind of explains a lot. <laughs> yeah, well. Anyway, uh, thanks for the great questions, everybody. And uh, yeah, it looks like it's time to bring the show to a close. Yes, you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts over at superiorspidertalk.com or find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, please be sure to leave us a review. We love getting your reviews. Additionally, be sure to check out our brother podcast, which you can download on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, <laughs> uh, The Ultimate Spin, if you want to keep up with the adventures of Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen Stacy. They're no longer kissing each other, but they still have books. All right, uh, Mark, next week we're going to be recapping our 30 Essentials episodes, which took two years to complete. And uh, as we prepare for the vinyl vote, tell me, why should we listen into this episode? Well, you know, I would hope as a subscriber to our podcast, you listen to every one of our episodes. But beyond that, you know, I think this is going to be a fun look. I mean, not for nothing. I think we've even kind of forgotten about some of the parameters of what we set out to do two years ago, because two years ago was a long time ago. So I think for everyone who's been following along and kind of wanting to get a sense of what the ultimate end game was, was supposed to be for this um, for this series, this episode will kind of lay that all out there and kind of what we're going to do next with it. And, you know, we'll also kind of reveal some of our own insights about what we've learned about these comics and what makes essential versus not essential. And maybe some picks that the other person made that were enlightening or less than enlightening, you know, it'll, it'll, I, I, I think it'll be a good listen. So that's my sales pitch. I hope that's, I hope that's riveting enough for you, Dan. I'm excited to have the conversation with you. Uh, Mark, where can we find you on the internet this week? Well, of course, uh, you can follow me at chasing ASM blog on Twitter and on superior spider talk.com and chasing amazing blog.com. And of course, please, uh, if you haven't yet order the book, 100 things Spider-Man fans should know and do before they die, uh, available at triumphbooks.com and all other major book retailers. Dan, if I can just babble a few more seconds on this, uh, if you, if any of you out there have already received your books through Amazon and you want an inscription on it, uh, just contact me either on Twitter or Facebook, um, or through the show and, um, I can get something out to you, uh, through a book plate. And also if you've already read through the book, um, you could really help me out big time by leaving a review on Amazon because that'll help my searchability. So, uh, I'm assuming you read it and love it. But even if you didn't love it, if you could put a review, that would be great. So, Dan, what about you? Where can we find you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at, at SupSpiderTalk um, or my personal account at Dan Gavazdin. And you can read all the awesome writing that we're doing over at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. I picked up reviewing the title Spider-Man so you can hear me complaining about Miles Morales every month. Uh, and and my thoughts on that book. I, I hope I'm not complaining too much. Oh, please. You can never be complaining as much as I do about things on that site, Dan. So you're good. <laughs> All right, cool. You know, Mark, uh, when you were younger... You know, you really like to wear all kinds of different masks and and costumes. You were a real, you know, kind of like cosplay kid. But there was one time you took it too far when you had that professional surgeon remake your face. 
and it went horribly. I mean, we still have some of the lingering effects of that today, uh, but can you talk about how you got yourself out of that situation with that horrible skin graft you got? Well, okay, so... I think you're being a little too cruel about what exactly happened here, Dan. So for those at home who or or at the gym, <laughs> we're back to this again, um, who don't know what, what Dan is referring to here. Uh, there was one time when I was younger, um, you know, I, I, I wanted to play a prank on my Uncle Ben. You know, he's a prankster. We all know that, right? Um, so I, I went to a plastic surgeon to get Uncle Ben's face. <laughs> You know, we, 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 he, he did the whole thing and, you know, I, I, I looked like, I looked like good old uncle Ben and I wanted to do that old, like Mark's brother routine where he was going to like, kind of like walk down the, you know, the hallway of, of my house. And then I was going to come out, you know, slowly I turned step by step, inch by inch, like kind of do the mirror image thing of him, you know, like, oh, we're going to drop the hat and we're going to wave and all that whole thing. I had this whole thing. It was going to be like a, it was going to be like classic vaudevillian humor here and which would have been right up Uncle Ben's alley. So, you know, he, Uncle, I, I kind of like was like waiting in the shadows for Uncle Ben to come out. He, he, he started to walk by and I jumped out to do the whole thing and he was like so frightened by it and I was like oh man I hope I didn't like give him a heart attack but like Dan like it was like the weirdest thing he like I don't know like he started talking about like the mob ties and and monkeys eating his face he, he like started freaking out and he's like I knew if I saw myself this would happen and he like just like he 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 tried to he tried to kill me, Dan. Like he like turned a gun on me, and in the struggle, of course, Uncle Ben got shot by a burglar. I didn't shoot him because I'd be incriminating myself if I say that. Um, which made me know the big lesson in life: don't try and sneak up on your Uncle Ben when you have his face. And also, with great podcasts, there must also come amazing spider talk. Peace